Welcome to the DEI Discussions podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. This is a chapter special called Artificial Discrimination. Can AI be trusted with inclusion? And today we are joined by Rohan Handa, founding member, head of business at Horizon Lab Ventures. Horizon Lab Ventures is the premier Web3 advisory and solutions platform built to push the boundaries of what is possible in Web3. And Rohan is here today to share some thoughts on AI and if it can be trusted with inclusion. So welcome, Rohan. It's great to have you with us. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me, Nadia. So let's start off and tell us a little bit more about who is HLV and what is the mission? Yeah, brilliant question. I think just like the space of Web3, HLV's mission as a whole is evolving, right? Because as we come to life with new technologies, new edges, the ways technology can actually impact people, we are continuing to develop new models and new businesses and understand what's really going to be the next frontier for human race as a whole. And Web3 and blockchain technology plays a good part. Skip taking that back to how HLV is related to it. So HLV is a Web3 advisory platform. Where we started off was in very humble origins of working with projects that were looking to launch fungible tokens, NFTs. Team had built its own blockchain platform, understood what it takes to build products, build L1, L2 chains. And we thought we could use the same understanding and knowledge base to advise projects and partners who are building within this space, right? Because it's such a new technology set. There's so much openness to it all where people from all across the globe can build on it simultaneously. We want it to be present as kind of the hub that connects all of these partners. So we started off as a Web3 advisory firm where we help projects run into work with their tokenomics, their white paper, helping launch their fungible tokens, uh, working with market makers, centralized exchanges, smart contracts, uh, working with DAOs. And I know I'm throwing a lot of lingo and words in it, but we are an end-to-end service provider for all your needs around fungible token launches, non-fungible token launches, and anything Web3 related. The short version of it is we are wanting to be the McKinsey of Web3. Wow, super exciting. I love that. And it's great that it is end-to-end. So yeah, you're right. You know, you're throwing a lot of terms in there, but it's terms that are all super relevant to the whole process. Tell us a bit more about your role and what that actually looks like day-to-day. Yeah, well, I'd say my role on a day-to-day basis is pretty much drinking from a fire hose, right? No two days have looked different since the day I started working at HLV. The founding pillars of it was like constant change. We were in that industry that required you to be nimble and be constantly learning. So for my day-to-day varies anywhere from talking to potential partners and clients, trying to bring in new deals to help them think through their ecosystem strategy, their growth strategy, their fungible token launch strategy, or anything else that goes in the Web3 world. Because you know there, there are certain times I'm talking to individuals and projects that have a very deep understanding of Web3 from a technical standpoint, but they're not necessarily understand the business aspects of it, right? And coming from a background that I have seen the Web2 business evolve and deploy new technologies, I can help bridge that gap along with my team. So my role varies anywhere from advising these clients on a day-to-day basis about Web3 and helping them implement some of the technology tool sets to thinking through what are the new business 
business models? What are some of the new verticals that are coming within this space? Does crypto alone warrior scenario, right? Uh, can it operate in silo? Does it need to mesh with some of the other technology sets? What are some of the new incentivization models that are coming on. So there's pretty research heavy work as well coming up with new models because technology underneath it all changes so rapidly. So if I'm not evolving with it, I'm not advising my partners what to do next, right? So the role varies anywhere from like, you know, doing the research, looking for new investment opportunities, looking for new platforms and solutions, how they're building new, better incentivization models, tokenomics, all in all, just uh, learning, which I really enjoy doing, and using that knowledge to help our clients succeed as well. It's really nice to hear you talk about that constant learning, because I think it really is a theme of just how quickly this, this entire industry is moving. And this is what takes me quite nicely onto our conversation today around AI, because that, of course, is moving at you know an exceptional rate. So as a founding member of a successful advisory and solutions platform, what do you think we should be considering when we're talking about AI? Oof. It's it's hard to even think about where I start with. I think before we even get into the AI aspect, there's a clarity that I want to start off of, right? So we talk about Web3 and there's Web 3.0, right? So the distinction there is Web3 is a blockchain crypto-based technology set that will play a part in Web 3.0. Right. And Web 3.0 is the new internet that we all talk about, right? That includes semantic web. It includes secure data ubiquity via decentralized networks of blockchain data. You have artificial intelligence, and then you have visual immersion experiences with your AR and VR technologies. Now, the best way to view it is convergence of technology sets, right? You have these VIX or visual immersion experience like AR, VR, which helps generate data. Decentralized networks help as an immutable way to store a lot of that data, and AI becomes that augmentation layer on top of this, right? So the conversion of these three technology sets is super important for us to realize the true potential of the true new internet that we all talk about. Now, AI, where it stands right now, we are in the generative AI mode. Right, And the end goal is artificial general intelligence or AGI, which is where the semantic web really comes to life. So instead of us prompting or giving descriptions of like what we need, what we want and getting, you know, the chat GPT like versions of responses, what you'll have is a more human centered design aspects of what that query can lead to. And I think AI will play a critical role in helping augment all of that information that's being shared across the web, both offline as well as online, and bring it all together in a way that makes humans, I believe, more efficient, more progressive, and we'll discover new frontiers, not only just in technologies, but healthcare, data, space exploration, uh, deep water ex exploration, metallurgical excavations, like going on to new areas, having mutations of medicines that we previously not thought was possible, curing new diseases. I think this is this provides a little bit of more upper hand than just be solely depending upon human intelligence, which is massive as, as it stands. But this is, again, a next frontier to what we can do with our time and our knowledge. It's really exciting the way you described that, like the next frontier of our time and our knowledge and being able to really build upon that. That's the the, the positive and the one side. What challenges do you think are involved in all of this and, and the build of it all? Yeah, I think the 
biggest challenge of it all is the black box that exists between data entry and data exit. So what we call deep learning, machine learning, is essentially derived, or the goal is to make it look so similar to how a human mind functions that it almost feels like it is human on the other side. And that's where the dilemma exists, right? As a human, our processing capability, we can explain certain logical steps, but not always. How our brain outputs data is still a mystery. We are projecting that same mystery on data sets that could possibly be biased, that could possibly be corrupted, that could possibly be put in wrong hands, and we don't exactly know what the outputs there really look like, right? So this is this black box where the decision-making happens, where no scientist currently knows how some of those decisions are made. So if you cannot untangle that ultimate decision as to why it got to a decision point that it did, it is hard to use it in ways that can replicate humans, right? Because what that black box really is getting is data input. And if the Oracle or the person inputting data has malintentions, the outcome on the other end could be really disastrous. So I would say that is the biggest challenge that AI provides is these large language models, how they are processed, how the uh, the data is inferred by the underlying code, the underlying logic behind it is still a mystery. Unless we've figured out a way for the machine itself to explain how it arrived at that data, it's going to be hard to ignore the fact that we can run into a lot of trouble doing so. I mean, some of the you know technologies being used in modern cars, like we have seen a lot of EV cars, well-known brands, they have gone off road because the data points that they were receiving were completely off track, right? And there's nothing a driver or the passenger can really do about it because now the machine is in control. So if that's not scary enough, I don't know what it'll be. Like you're driving at 80 miles an hour and you have no control of the machine that you're sitting behind. It's a dangerous scenario to be in. It's super, super helpful the way that you're describing this in a way that, you know, I understand. And I'm sure many people who are wanting to learn about AI will will understand better. And this is truly a dilemma that, as you say, you know, can have dangerous outcomes. So what safety measures would you want in place? I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, regulatory. So there's a difference between, let me take a step back. So there's a difference between how AI exists today and how AI will potentially exist in the future that we are envisioning. We are almost looking to replace the existing human redundant and mundane task to machine in the way humans will do it, right? So if we were to look at some of the things that needs to be done right now, so for example, generative AI. AI now has the potential to generate art, generate images, generate full-length paragraph, you know, go into the internet, source some of the articles, summarize it, and do all that stuff. But there's still a lot of errors. If you have used BARD or ChatGPT, errors crop up every now and then. There are certain comments that has never been made, and that's been discussed all uh, through multiple different podcast channels and been discussed pretty heavily. So just take an example of generative AI. I think one of the things, one of the ways to actually make sure there's a distinction between art or content that's being generated by artists versus AI machines. 
is to have some sort of filter or a watermark that says clearly, explicitly that this is AI generated content. Because now what you're starting to do, if you can generate, I don't know, let's say thousand images an hour and an artist can do only 10, that's a hundred X improvement. And any company looking at that information will obviously prefer something that is higher efficiency, but that also takes away from the creative aspects of that human that was previously deployed to do that job. But the advantage, if you were to look at from the glass full point of view, the advantage there is now this artist, because he has this or she has this imagination of creating this beautiful world, he or she can leverage this medium to generate those thousand. So the creativeness aspect is where you got to really focus on and what original human content can really bring, what are the prompts it can give to that generative AI bot so it can generate an art that the artist envisions, right? But the biggest challenge would be how it impacts some of the existing jobs of, for creators, for artists, for basically anyone in the space that is used to doing mundane tasks, as simple as writing emails or arranging a calendar, right? Or talking to a call center operator. All of those can very easily be replicated if you get there. And some of the ways in the current phase is having the right markers, right uh, filters around it. Moving forward, as we get into AGI, I think we haven't reached a point where artificial general intelligence is really going to be an issue, primarily because there's always a lot of buzz in, in some of these newer technologies when they're early on. If the hype cycle is familiar, we are in like a prime hype cycle of this technology toolset. Typically technologies evolve and build well on tail end of this hype cycle. So we haven't even seen what AI can actually do, but what it will do and what some of the regulations really need to be put into place is clearly demarking what is AI, what is not AI, understanding the ethical nature of the machines and the tools that have been deployed in the, in the market, you know, the content around deep fakes, uh, that's pretty dangerous. The laws and regulations will deeply determine how humans use this data, because otherwise we are looking at pretty much a chain reaction of what it can do, right? We have seen all the technologies have a certain level of uh, power to spread quickly, right? The network effects here become really massive. So if previously something you thought did not require human intervention in an age where a machine takes over and can replicate and can think for itself, you need to start stepping up the regulatory boundaries and what it can, cannot do have the right guidelines and create a safe harbor for people who are eventually using it because not only it poses a massive national security threat, but also the workforce really starts to take a toll. It starts to take a toll on the workforce because now you're losing jobs to a training bot that can do a job much better than you at half the time that you would. So. It's brilliant the way you're talking about watermarks of you know credibility and knowing where and how something's been produced and what where information or art has come from. And these guidelines that you talk about, these are great sort of safety measures. When we look through the lens of the workforce within the financial technology sector, what does the future look like? Ah. Well, so the first change that we're already starting to see is the workforce being more remote than it was previously used to. I think that's a more visible known fact that exists. COVID really accelerated that trend, which a lot of people, at least in tech hubs, were vying for. Now, when you think about financial technology, the whole issue with how the financial services, financial technology is set up is you have these single bodies or you know financial institutions that have so much power over you 
as a consumer, as a user, and they operate in such silos, it's hard to get anything meaningful done. Every time I have to go to a bank, I have to do a KYC and AML checks and all of that stuff. If I want to transfer my funds over, there's an ACH process and all that. Um, I think with the combined force of technology sets, both AI and blockchain, a lot of these silos that have been created by some of these larger institutions could really be broken down or disrupted in a way, right? So what I see in the workforce, how AI could really impact is a lot of the work, the admin work that you have to do, a lot of the presentations that you have to do will start being taken over by humans who don't necessarily need to be in that particular office or in that particular city. It could be global, right? And if you can allow AI to help augment a lot of the work that's been done, it frees up a lot of creative room. So what I envision moving forward is the workforce focusing a lot more time coming up with new business model, creative architectures, whether it be in financial institutions, whether it be in technology, and give a lot of mundane tasks, financial reporting, auditing, speaking even to customers for that matter, to AI-based technology bots and tool sets, right? We are far away from that, but that is where we are headed to, quite frankly. And in humans, we'll have a lot more time to create and think about newer ideas instead of having to spend their time pushing buttons, setting up calendar meetings, sending email, setting up meetings that require, <laughs> you know, that, that spends so much billable hours that you don't even realize. I think it's Shopify now they have started putting, for example, the total dollars being burned in every single meeting that you go into. So it, the significance of like how you're spending your time becomes more visible, right? So I think you'll have lesser meetings, more creative work will, will be done. And, you know, you'll, you'll see almost, I feel like a renaissance period where every technologist and entrepreneur finance guy, they're more, the creative juices stop flowing. Uh, so that's how I feel it will massively impact the future workforce. It'll be less service oriented per se, but more creators and creative artists for leveraging, you know, the technology in different uh, ways and forms. And thank you for sharing those thoughts. It's great to hear that there'll be more time for creation, more time for ideation, more time for thinking. It's been such a jam-packed episode full of learning. So thank you very much for joining us on the DEI Discussions podcast series. Great. Thank you so much, Nadia. Really appreciate it.